Hello there and welcome to the Whole Healed Holy Podcast, a place for conversations of the heart, for exploring healing, divinity, and all things sacred. I'm your host, Patricia Russo. I'm a mystic, muse, and spiritual teacher guiding women into their hearts with a journey of softening. I'm a published poet, a lover of hearts, and a forever student. Welcome, love, to a sacred pause and hopefully a few tingles, and to a reminder that we are all whole, healed, and holy. I'm so happy you're here. Let's slip into today's episode. Today is the day, and it is so, so serendipitous for me that I take a leap with spirit, trusting her to guide me fully into a new place. And I cannot think of a more fitting sister that I would like to take this leap with than my guest today. The truth is, I don't know her. We are meeting face-to-face here today for the very first time. But I have felt her from the moment I read her first word. I started this podcast with a series of safe for me guests, women that I've known for a long time, because this felt like the best way for me to kind of ease in. Today is the very first episode with a sister that I barely know, but want to know more deeply, and I feel naturally drawn to her. I love that we have a deep knowing before we begin today. I feel that we both do, that this trust that we both have in spirit will result in a remarkable conversation and example and touch the lives of the hearts listening today. Samantha Lazo is a storyteller, author, and advocate. After graduating from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, Samantha was an ELA educator for 12 years. During her time as an educator, she was a classroom teacher, we have this in common, a (laughs) curriculum developer, teacher coach, and dean. Upon becoming a mother, she stepped into her full uh, her life as a full-time writer and author. Her widely celebrated debut publication, Leave Her Wild, is a collection of poetry and prose dedicated to women and the girls that they once were. Through her work, she hopes to empower young girls and women to define womanhood for themselves and become unapologetic leaders of their own lives. The only way is through. When I read those words, I mean, I know that to be true, Samantha, but those Mm -hmm. words, like when I saw them in a recent post, I was just like, ooh. Some of us get this lesson from the start, and this is certainly what I feel is true for you. Mm -hmm. I love that you are a lover of words and that you use your words to explore the things that give you curiosity, both the delicious things and the terrifying things within you and in your world. This resonates so, so deeply with me. You write to heal. You are brave and healing aloud or out loud. (laughs) This gives all of us permission to look at ourselves through you, through your words, and to find our own. I love how clear you are, how powerfully soft and truthful your work is, and I love the heart in what you share. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Wow, what a glowing introduction. Thank you so much. And I feel privileged, grateful, honored to be in this space with you and share it with you and connect over one of my favorite things in the entire world, which is words, which is how we found each other, interestingly enough. 
Yeah, words are very much a healing mechanism for me, as they have been for humans forever. And that's what ignited my first book was I actually wrote it initially to heal myself. And then when I started sharing my work with other women and putting it out in the world, other people felt very seen by it. And I realized that there were so many other sisters and women out there having a shared experience and that I actually wasn't alone in what I was feeling. And so I feel that when you have the opportunity to turn pain into purpose, you do it. And so I wrote Leave Her Wild to heal myself. And inevitably, I gave it away to the world in hopes that it would help heal other people. So thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, I love having you here. (laughs) I love that we share a love of words. What were you like as a little girl? Who is this girl that you celebrate that you once were? Do you have conversations with her? And do these conversations inspire your writing? Was she celebrated along the way? Are you writing to her or through her or for her? And you kind of presence this a little bit. But I'd love to start here with just a glimpse of who Samantha was as a little girl. Because mm. that's in your bio. And it's I feel like part <laughs> of your intention is to like touch on this part of every woman. Yeah. Little Sam, many people refer to me as Sam, not my full name, Samantha. So little Sam was quiet. She was very safe in every action that she took. She was very much a people pleaser, which I know now is a trauma response. (laughs) So, But she was beautifully creative in her own right. And I definitely right through her, I would say. I do an incredible amount of inner child journaling because there are parts of her that I hid for a very long time and I didn't allow to fully actualize in my adult years, my teenage years even. And so she was a beautiful soul that still lives with me today, wildly creative, but very quiet. It's almost as if, given the environment that I grew up in, it's almost as if she was living with this veil over her face. A veil, as we know, is you can see through it a little bit, but what's on the other side is a little cloudy. It's a little blurry. You can't see everything so clearly. And so she, on the inside of that veil, though, was this wildly colorful, vibrant world, but she kept all of it behind the veil. But she knew there was something that was drawing her to the other side of the veil. I've known my whole life there was something else out there. Something that was really holding me back from that was the way that I did grow up. I grew up in a middle America, white, conservative household with traditional patriarchal gender roles. And so I was learning what it was to be a girl from all of these kind of passive messages and sometimes direct messages. I was learning what it was like to be a girl. And so I kept all of that. I kept my creative, vibrant side under the veil. But I knew that something was drawing me through those tiny little holes that you can kind of see what's beyond that veil. And so there was that part of me that I did hide for a very long time. I had a very low voice. I didn't use it very often. I definitely undersold how powerful my voice was. Mm -hmm. And so when I became a mother is when motherhood very much can rip that veil off. And as it did, I was pushed to kind of reckon and really realize what little Sam actually wanted out of life and what she was really capable of. And I gave her her moment, right? And I still give her moments today, but 
my whole life, I was a very quiet, passive young girl who was wildly vibrant and creative, but just held back quite a bit. It was motherhood that tore that veil off and made me see how leaning into everything that you've ever wanted to be and really healing that part of your child, embracing all of those things that you want to be, things you want to explore, that is what really healed little Sam and allows me to carry her today in a very soft, light way rather than her feeling so heavy. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the inner child work is so powerful. So powerful. I'd like to create a little bit of careful and sacred and open space for you to share about the loss of your mother Mm. and how this has impacted you. Yeah. How it's impacted you as a daughter, as a woman, as a mother, as a writer, both in the dense kind of human grief sense. And also Mm. if there's any spiritual, certainly healing sense, because you Mm. touched on that, but just like the full spectrum of this loss for you, if it feels okay for you to share this today in this conversation. Oh, absolutely. What a beautiful way to honor my mother. (laughs) I would like to read a piece from Leave Her Wild that would bridge this idea of what was Sam like when she was a little girl and what contributed to her kind of being that way and how she learned what girlhood, womanhood was, which very much painted the image of my mother that then had a very large role in how I grieved for her. From page 20, most nights we would watch my mother fall asleep on the couch waiting for my father to come home. She never knew what hour that might be, just sitting in wait, all alone in the unknown. When he arrived, he would float right by her, put orange push pops in our tiny little hands, tell us how much he loved us, and go eat the dinner my mother prepared hours before. The dinner we had already eaten without him. Lessons in a woman's role. And so how I saw my mother as a young girl was very much this traditionally like gendered role in our home. She did all the cooking. She did all the cleaning. She did all the mothering. And I am one of many siblings. I have three beautiful sisters and a brother. And so she was carrying all of that with her while also working through her own traumas and healing journey. And so the first idea of my mother was very much a homemaker. And as I grew to know her throughout my life, I realized what a creative she was, a beautiful writer, absolutely beautiful writer. She was also a painter, an artist. I got all of her gold, <laughs> honestly. And so, yeah, <laughs> I got all things gold from my mom. That's how I knew her, though. And as I learned more about her when I became a teenager and even into my adult life, I realized that she put all of that up on a shelf. She tucked all of her creativity, her voice, all the same things that little Sam kind of buried behind a veil. I learned how to do that from my mother because she did it to herself as well. Um, And also, obviously, the world has a hand in that, too. But um, she put large parts of herself, her power, her identity, her voice, her creativity, her love. She put it on a shelf and and became this other thing. She became a mother, which is a beautiful role to carry in this life. It's absolutely beautiful role to carry in this life. It's filled with immense love, selflessness, kindness, connection, all of it. But I think it hit her so starkly that when she had to she had to very quickly give up other parts of herself that made her whole 
um, that made her a whole person. And so that was the view that I kind of carried with me of my mother um, and all of her really great parts went very under notice, underappreciated by, um, by my father and other people in her life that surrounded us. As a young girl, I grew to understand this about my mother. And I then slowly um, dipped into a very resentful phase because of this. It's almost like this strong woman in me came out where it was like, I essentially thought like, how could she just give up parts of herself for this life that she there didn't a part of you that wanted to fight for her. Exactly. A part of me wanted to fight for her and I grew resentful of her. I was angry with her. I held a lot of that angst against her, not realizing that she was a product of this society that molded her in this very specific way. And that she was also doing that healing work unbeknownst to me um, and that self-discovery as her children grew older. And so all of that resentment and that angst really fractured our relationship a few years before she passed. And I'm coming up on five years um, of my mother's passing. You were how old when you lost your mother? I was 31. Yeah. So it was right before I became a mother myself. Uh, when I lost her, your grief is incredibly complex and it comes in waves. And I was flooded with guilt, all of that anger and angst resurfaced after I was flooded with that guilt that I didn't guilt of that I didn't spend more time with her, guilt that I didn't get to know the parts of her that were hurting. Um, and then guilt that I didn't fight for her and rather I fought against her and having more connection with her because of all of that resentment. And so I really was when she passed, I functioned from a place of regret at first, regret for all the moments that I missed, regret for not fully leaning into her and and seeing her fully for what she was going through, um, followed by bouts of anger and resentment of how could she have done this and been this way and taught us girls to be this way and be a model in this way. And then eventually I found bins of these little little trinkets of hers, little notes she would keep in her wallet. And within that, there was a notebook. This was one of the most healing moments after my mother passed that healed a lot of the resentment, a lot of the anger that I held for her for so long. In Wedged in that notebook, when I was in college, I wrote for a student publication literary journal at UMass called The Jabberwocky. And I wrote poems for The Jabberwocky. And they were published. And I used to print, I used to run to the library. I would print them on the library computer. And then I would mail them to her. And I mailed several poems and I never got them back in the mail. And I always wondered why. And so after her passing, when I was going through these bins, I found this notebook and wedged in there. I noticed the paper immediately. It was a little cream colored kind of cardstock, but it was very flimsy, almost looked like it had crinkled edges. It was dirty, right? Because it had been fondled in some hands over time. And it were my poems that I sent her in the mail. And on them were notes that she wrote in response to what I wrote and reading her writing after she had passed, not being able to have asked her all those questions, being able to like lean into her and really embrace what she had been going through and, and stay curious about her, not having that opportunity, reading her responses to my writing were incredibly healing. 
all of it was about support and love and connection and how she was trying to be a model woman for my, me and my sisters and how she was trying to exist in the world. And at that moment, that was a moment that I was like, I have to do this. I felt redrawn to being a writer after being in education for so long. And so I leaned fully in and that was the catalyst to me starting to write again, which then healed not just little Sam, but it healed my relationship with my mother, even though she's not here. Yeah. Sam, what a beautiful story. As you were telling the story, I was imagining you discovering this notebook and I knew what you were going to say because I just thought, whoa. Yeah. And for your mother to leave this kind of legacy for you that was the catalyst, as you say, or that created, that gifted you, I feel like mm. the word that gifted you, this different seeing of her and this better understanding of her, and mm. even this legacy of writer to writer, perhaps, or mm -hmm. poet to poet um, conversation <laughs> that is so meaningful for those of us that love words. Mm. I'm feeling that deeply in this moment because of the power of just sharing. I think poetry for me is it's the most intimate way to see the world and share the world that you see with others. Mm -hmm. And it's such an intimate way to be and to share because we all have the same words and we all have the same mm -hmm. language. And in my mind, being a poet is about really taking those same words and that same language and making it mine. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what you do. And that's why I love, I love you because I love all poets because I understand, I understand them. And I feel like we're doing the same thing. I'm yeah. feeling this so deeply because I feel like I just can imagine how powerful it was for you to be seen in this way by mm -hmm. your mother and to have yeah. this gift that was healing for you, um, this exact gift in words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> seeing her words on the paper and it's an interesting funny um very like heartfelt aside is that one thing I really adored about my mother was her handwriting and so the fact that this was handwritten was very special it's very sacred and I it's now are these poems live in frames now and so that I have a few of them on my walls and so they're very special but it is interesting when we talk about like healing the inner child and mending relationships, it's twice as hard to do that with somebody that's no longer here. And I think that finding that notebook and why I continue to write to, I think it not only heals myself, it heals little Sam. I think it gives the opportunity to heal my mother in a way. She lives in every word that I write, whether that be because I got all of her gold, as I had said earlier. So her words really are moving through me. It's almost as if I'm just, I'm a vessel for her to communicate through because all of her emotions, all of her stories, I truly believe do live within me. And I'm just calling them forth and putting words to them. And so it is a way, it's an opportunity for me to heal little Sam, heal myself and all of the things that we are currently going through in life, while also giving her a stage to also be healed, to be seen and to be loved in the ways that she deserved. I always say that if I could go back in time, I would be my mother's mother. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that you are in a sense um, honoring her in this way. Mm -hmm. Beautiful.
Yeah. Do you have another poem that you want to share at this moment before I ask the next question? Because I do. I do. So this, yeah. this one is, yeah, this honors the fact that our mothers and the women before us, they very much do live through us. We carry everything that they are with us. We carry their emotions. We carry their ideas. And we get to be the voices for them now if they are no longer here. And so I wrote this piece in out of inspiration from that idea. So these words are not just mine. They are my mother's, her mother's and the mother's before them. These words are water spanning generations, finally flowing freely through me. And someday they will reach the shores of our daughters. We hope they never carry them back out to sea. We hope they scatter them in the skies to set them free. So beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears here just a little bit. But, and I think that you've touched on this a little bit. How much of how you define being a woman and womanhood came mm -hmm. from your mother? And where do you source the other pieces to help you define these things for you if there are other places where you look for your definition? But what I'm really getting at here is what is your definition of being a woman or a mm -hmm. womanhood? Yeah. So this is a, it's a beautiful question. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer such a question. I think as a girl, I saw my mother in a very specific, fall into a very specific definition of womanhood that is the, almost as if it's like the residue of centuries of, of patriarchal control. And what that kind of patriarchal control I saw due to the women around me growing up as a girl is it stole their intuition away from them. It pulled all of their trust for themselves away from them to ascribe to a very specific way of being a woman. And so messaging about what women's bodies are for, what they should look like is was a wildly large narrative and had a lot to do with how I defined womanhood as a girl. And so Within all of that, I always sought external validation for my womanhood and for my girlhood. And so that came in the form of seeing my body as use for other people rather than a powerful vessel that creates life that is my own, that I am allowed to love. And so I think all of the definitions and visions of womanhood that I saw pushed me to abandon my intuition, abandon the understanding of my own body and see it and me as a woman, as somebody who serves other people and not myself first. And so that's the definition that I kind of adopted when I was a young girl into my teens and even into my early adulthood. And then entering. I was a teacher, as you said in my bio. So I entered the workforce and I was primarily under the leadership of men. And that very much influenced how I quieted myself. All of those narratives from when I was a girl kind of surfaced in that career for me where I didn't express my opinions as well. I kind of defaulted to a system and I very much allowed that distrust of that of my intuition and trusting myself i i abandoned that completely and then becoming a mother i know i keep coming back to this but motherhood very much is a mirror and it will rip that veil off of you so that you really can lean into and sink into yourself and it makes you question the human experience it makes you question everything that you've ever known about being a woman Upon becoming a mother, especially a mother of a daughter, I 
then I was able to sit with all of these thoughts in my head and really reckon with them and evaluate them. And that came with a lot of anger, a lot of anger. I was so angry that I had hid this part of me for so long and that I was pushed to ascribe to a very specific definition of womanhood that involved me not having control over my body and me not trusting myself. And so when I define womanhood, I very much lean into the idea that we have an intuition and we have a trust like that only we can have for ourselves. And that channeling that very much brings about your authentic voice and your power. And so that's how I see womanhood now is that each of us has a very unique women's intuition. We have a very unique way that we can harness that in order to step into our power and everything that we want to be. So I guess at the heart of that is very much like a, there is no one definition. And I think it's very singular for every woman, which makes me incredibly proud to be a woman. It makes being a woman very exciting because while we all have this kind of shared experience with the backdrop of the world as it is, we are all very unique in our own intuition, our own power and our own authenticity. Yeah. Are these some of the things that you teach your daughter about what being a woman is and how old is your daughter? My daughter is two and a half. Her name is just a baby. What is she like? I would love to know what you're teaching your daughter. I mean, just at two, but so much, even at that age, like right when they come about being a woman. And what is she teaching you about being a mother? And I'm assuming that inspires or influences your work in every way, but I would just love to kind of get a glimpse of what's happening between you and what's her name. So her name is Zuri, uh, Z-U-R-I. So her father is Colombian, and so he has Basque origins. So it's a Basque name, a beautiful name. We love it. She loves it. And so, yeah, I'm sure one day she will be upset with me for being at the bottom of the alphabet, but whatever. <laughs> so you need to have a, yes. a name that begins with a Z. Yes, I think children are very, I said a quick comment earlier about being mirrors. And so they very much reflect back to you, your own beliefs, your own behaviors. I've learned more about myself being a mother than I think I ever have on this life journey uh, here on earth. And so she very much has held up a mirror and made me question how I am constructing narratives for her. So rather than teaching her what she is or what womanhood is, I stay incredibly curious about her. She doesn't have a whole lot of language right now. She is dual language, so she knows Spanish and English. Yes. And so what I do make sure to do is stay very curious. I ask her a thousand questions a day that um, she doesn't answer directly, but what that's doing for her is It's facilitating her own thinking so that she can come to these kind of independent thoughts rather than me saying things like I heard when I was a child, which is, oh, girls don't do that. I don't lean into that at all. I lean the complete opposite way. And I ask her, how does doing that make you feel? She can be so in tune with her heart and her emotions that she can construct her own identity as she sees fit. That's so powerful to be getting that at two, like just wide open. It's like a blank page. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 
such a grand responsibility. Parenting holds a whole lot of power and you want to make sure that you're harnessing that to create a life for this human that is is a free life, right? It's power and it's responsibility when you have the level of awareness and healing and Mm. language that you have. You know, it's like, it's the level of responsibility that I have, uh, that I think that we have when we are on a path or when we're mm-hmm. aware, as aware as we are. Um, and your awareness kind of sort of dictates, in my opinion, but I get in trouble a little bit when I speak on this subject because I don't have children. But I feel like as I guide women, lots of women who are mothers, I feel like there's a level of responsibility that comes with the healing that you've done and the awareness mm-hmm. that you have to do your part to continue. And I love that in the poem, you personify that and talk about that being the shore, the shore of our, the daughters, mm-hmm. the shore. So this is what you're embodying as the mother um, yeah. with your daughter. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, she will carry the things. I mean, she lived in my body and science will tell you that she also lived in my mother's womb. And so she, in the body keeps the score. So like she is carrying all, any and all traumas that we have been through, we'd be remiss to think that I would be remiss to think that she wouldn't have some sort of traumas that will surface for her at some point that she's not understanding. And I think that she will carry that. And, and the reason why I, in the poem, I say um, she'll carry them out, our daughters will carry them out to sea to set them free, is I think with every generation of children and specifically women and daughters and mothers, because of the oppressive nature that we have lived within for quite some time, is that with each new generation is the opportunity to not just heal yourself, but to heal your bloodline and to heal all the women that came before you, because you carry everything, you carry all their stories in your very bones. And so that's why I, I lean into questions. I want my daughter so, so badly to live a very free life. And when I say free, I mean, she's free thinking, she's fluid and free flowing. She loves fluidly and that she has these free definitions for herself, her identity, her womanhood, if she, and if she decides to grow old and does not want to identify as a woman, this type of understanding still benefits all women. And so, yeah, having the free mind and free thoughts to, in order to construct those ideologies, those identities, those decisions, not just um, are for her, but they also heal an entire blind. It seems so simple and it seems like it would be the most natural thing for parents, for mothers to have, like just mm-hmm. to be in radical acceptance for anything is possible and creating mm-hmm. the space for that. To happen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that. Your share about killing the strong woman was a big, big tingle for me. And this is one of the ways that we connected more deeply. Mm-hmm. And we spend just a moment here. What is the strong woman for you? And why did you decide to kill her? <laughs> mm-hmm. And was she replaced by another part of you or softer energy? Can you share a little bit what was behind this post for you, this share for you? Oh, the strong woman is a lifelong battle for me, it seems. I don't know that I will forever be able to lay her to rest, but I am trying. <laughs> and so when I think of the strong woman complex, I a lot is called forth for me as to how I grew up. And so very much I have been told my whole life, and as many women have living within such a structure that I did, 
is that your value and your worth as a woman is very much in how much you can carry and that our emotions and showing them so blatantly and so freely and so vulnerably is a weakness rather than a superpower of ours. And so very much the strong woman image for me is somebody who will do everything is a woman who will do everything herself. She will not ask for help because if she does, she will be seen as less valuable or less worthy of things like love. And then to add on to that, it's also about not showing your emotions because emotions scare people, especially ourselves. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Absolutely. (laughs) After becoming a mother, I had so many emotions that were terrifying. And the only way that I was able to work through them, the only way is through, right? As as you got to feel, you have to feel it all. That is very much the strong woman complex for me is very much a, is a product of living in a space and an environment that told me I would not be valuable if I had scary emotions, big, scary emotions, because I could not be trusted to lead teams or to be able to think straight was like a was a was a big phrase in my household. And so that is what I see as like a, as a strong woman. What that did to me over time is it built almost this ironclad wall around my heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the chuckle makes me feel like you totally understand what I'm saying. And so I had such a hard time allowing people to love me. And that was mixed in with like almost not feeling worthy of being loved. And so I didn't let people in. I always kept people at a distance. And so I had a really hard time with connection to to feel really authentically connected to a lover, a partner, a friend, becoming a mother it took a hammer and it started to chip at that iron really hard because I, the only way that I could be connected to this tiny, beautiful, amazing spirit and soul that I grew in my belly, the only way to become emotionally connected to her was to chip away that iron. I had to let the connection in. And the only way to do that was to become very comfortable with showing my emotions, embracing them, feeling them all, and then using them all. And then also motherhood, we are not meant to raise children in silos. We are meant to raise children in communities. And I had a really hard time asking for help from my tribe, my community, my people, because of that strong woman complex. And it was slowly destroying me, which then inevitably was destroying the way in which I was raising my daughter for the first year. That was quite an awakening for me that I knew I had to do the work. I knew there was something, some part of me that needed to change. I couldn't focus on changing all the external elements around me. I can have the most organized house, but there's still chaos in my heart because of this. And I'm still banging against those iron walls, right? And frustrated and angry. And I found that softening, chipping away at the iron, taking it apart and allowing people to help me. And trusting that it is debt-free help, that no one's going to come back around and say, well, I did this for you, so you have to do this for me. And trusting the the love and beauty of reciprocity rather than this toxic version of it. Mm-hmm. That helped me slowly and gently soften myself and allow people to connect with me, allow people to help me, allow people to see my emotions. Because I realized when I did that, 
it was a permission slip for other people to do the same. Ah, the entire world softens with you. Mm. Yeah, this is the work that I do. It's so beautiful mm. to see this, Sam. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that what a glimpse of your process and how that looks for you. The last question that I have before we do the wrap up is really about your writing and about how writing has been such a powerful tool for healing for you. And I wonder if you've always felt comfortable sharing your writing and healing mm-hmm. aloud. And what does your process look like as a full-time writer and author? I just would love to spend some time here yeah. one moment before you tell us. And maybe at the end of that, you can tell us about what you're working on and the new book that's coming. Yeah. I've always written ever since I was a young girl. My writing has always lived in notebooks and never out loud. The first time I actually shared my writing with anyone was when I went to school at UMass and I submitted a few pieces to the Jabberwocky Literary Journal. And that was terrifying because the first time that people would actually see all of these secrets, as I used to call them in in my notebook. And so the reason why I was always so scared to share my writing was ironically not because I didn't think it was good because there's an autonomy to art that how you gauge good writing, there's principles, right, at the basis. But it's really like what your, if somebody connects with it, is drawn to it, and is their life is impacted by it, or their emotions, or their being, or their spirit, their soul, then that's good writing. And so I was never afraid of it being good or bad. Okay. I was afraid of what I was writing would implicate the people that I was writing about because I would love not, to do a follow-up episode with yeah. that just writer to writer because I've yeah. got several books living in me yeah. and I'm trying to navigate right now what part of the story is mine to tell mm-hmm. the other people in it and yeah. so I'm gonna just like woo, and I'm teasing those of you that are <laughs> faithful followers and listeners of the podcast that you can expect that in a follow-up episode with Sam because I'd love to yeah that there's something really juicy there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a hard decision because yeah, who, who, part of this is my story to tell. One of my like favorite humans, Glennon Doyle, so I very much love her as a human, as an author, as everything. And so she vowed to be an unapologetic, like raw truth teller. And so I came upon like the reason why I decided to take the leap and bravely put my work out into the world, even as young as my college years up until now, is I dropped into trusting myself and knowing that really trusting that I'm the place I'm coming from is warm. It's a place of love and that I am telling my truth, my my part. Going back to the earlier conversation around how you define woman and womanhood, Mm -hmm. it's like tapping into that knowing, that Mm -hmm. deep inner knowing that you yeah. Really trusting it. Yeah. To mm-hmm. you. That's so beautiful. And it took me a long time to get there, given everything we've talked about in my past and my journey and what I was taught and everything. So it took me a long time to tear that veil off and really fully lean into trusting myself again and embracing all of that gold my mom gave me. And so I think that that has been a very healing and life-changing experience for me. And I think it's one of the greatest ways to honor myself, my mother and the mothers before her, and just trusting that I am doing all of this out of love and healing work. I really do. I really do believe that. And as far as process goes for writing, 
Oh, as a fellow writer and for all of the creatives that are listening, we all know that inspiration does not have a clock. It doesn't clock in. It doesn't clock out. Um, And so it can come to you in the most inopportune time. And every writer has tried to tease it with all the various methods, right? Like, Um, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I very much enjoy writing poetry and prose that you can read solo. So you can read a single poem, but I love that it's a fluid story. And so the books I write, they are compounded. So they are meant to be read in order so that you can see the growth of the quote unquote character. The character is me and leave her wild specifically. the story. Yeah. There's a palpable growth throughout the entire journey of the book rather than opening up to page 60 and just reading it one off the page, you will still understand it. It might still impact. It might still resonate, but I very much love the building aspect. And there's not many books of poetry and prose that that do that storytelling. And so I leaned into that it was a very difficult way to write, but I love embracing the challenge of it. And it really pushes me to think introspectively, drop into my heart and my mind at the same time. And so creating a little bit of structure to um, the flow of of what poetry could possibly be. It's creating structure. And what is the, what is the next book? Oh, the next book is going to release in September in the fall. I'm working on it currently. It's called there she is. And so it is a collection of mini memoirs and narratives as well as poetry and prose so it doesn't have a specific genre I would say it touches it gives you a little taste of different genres within it but there she is is the collection about my journey through redefining womanhood and through that I essentially how I meet my mother at every phase of my life and the book ends with me looking in the mirror and finally being able to say, oh, there she is. Mm, yeah. I love that, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we'll look forward mm. to it. And it's in September. You'll have the... Yes, the- September. Yeah. I always end every episode with three questions that I like to ask every guest. And the first one is, which do you relate to the most right now? Whole, healed, or holy, and why? Mm. I I want to say healed, but I am actually, my heart is gravitating towards whole because I think I'm at a point in life where prior to this season, I always thought I was broken. Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to realize that we can break, but we are never broken. And so I think I have finally stepped into this understanding that I wake up every day as a whole person no matter how I arrive at that day, I'm always a whole person. I'm always enough. And that has very much kept me present in the current moment, which is a beautiful place to be. And it's the most peaceful place to be. So I would say whole is what is resonating with me. A book that you love or have gifted the most? Oh, this is the hardest question for writers. So a book that has changed my life is The Four Agreements. Absolutely revolutionized the way that I think about myself, the way I think about the world, how I drop back into that intuition, which is the work I've been doing for the past few years. And that has been a book that I have suggested the most to many people in my circle. So The Four Agreements. And the fifth agreement is actually sitting on my nightstand right now. That's next up in the queue. Yeah. (laughs) 
And a quote or mantra that you love or one that guides you. Oh, feel it all, use it all. Yeah. Feel everything and then use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Will you share some ways in which people can connect with you if they feel a tingle based on what you've, you shared in this um, interview? And maybe it's the book, your, mm-hmm. your books, both books. But if there are any other ways in which you want us to know that we might connect with you. Yeah. So samanthalazo.com is my website. I send weekly love letters that are just weekly musings. Um, They're not sales letters. I really enjoy connecting with people. And I find that that's one of the best ways to connect with people. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Sam Lazo writes uh, that for some daily musings and writing and inspiration. And my books are available on Amazon. Signed copies are available on my website. And as always, emailing. I will talk to anybody via email and connect with anybody via email. I love connecting and sharing stories. It's, I think, what makes us, keeps us grounded and makes us human. And I've felt that, I have felt how approachable you are from the beginning. And it's so beautiful that you want to genuinely connect with your audience, with your community, with the community at large. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, so much for this tender and honest and open conversation and for all of the generous ways that you share your heart and your work and your words and for sharing your own healing journey to inspire all of us to feel powerful in our being, in our womanhood. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I love you and I love everyone listening. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me that we've shared this moment of deep conversation. If you feel inspired or touched by something in this episode, please leave a comment and or a review. For more in all the ways, please find me at Whole Healed Holy on Instagram and at www.patricia-russo.com on the web. Stay close, please, and know that you are whole, you are healed, and you are holy. Until next time.